0: Well, Welcome everybody to One Church and welcome to At The Movies. Uh, My name is Patrick Fowler. I've been the groups and the next steps pastor here at One Church for five years and love it. And today I get to share one of my favorite, favorite movies of the year with you, The Shack. Um, now, the reason I love this movie is really because it addresses and allows us to speak to a group of people who don't always get talked about at church. It's that group of people I call kind of the, the down and outers, those who are going through rough circumstances, or those who, let me, let me put it real honestly, those who, if they, they feel like God has like a favorite circle and they're not in it, those who feel like, you know, they're not on God's favorites list or call list, and they get tired of those Christians who everything goes smoothly for them. This is not a message for those Christians except for those Christians to learn how they can speak to somebody in tragedy or prepare for it when it does come. Because as it says in the trailer, there is no promise of a pain-free life. We will experience hard things. And this is a message about what it looks like to walk through hard things. Um, I also need to add a disclaimer. If you're a crier, um, my my goal is to get you to watch this movie because it's phenomenal. But this is a crier movie. And I don't mean like a happy, warm, touchy-feely ending where you cry. I mean, like, you're going to cry, you need a full box of tissues, this is an ugly cry, like, you're going to have to take a nap after this movie kind of cry movie. I just want you to be warned, okay? So, um, I love this movie. I actually read this when it was a book a long, long time ago. A guy named William Paul Young actually wrote something he didn't expect to become famous. He just wanted to take a fiction story and try to talk about a truth that he knew from his experience as a Christian. He wanted to answer the question for some people he cared about. And the question is simply this. If God exists, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? And I don't just believe that's a question. I think that's the question. In fact, I think we all ask this, though we probably phrase it a slight bit differently, so let me fix this for us. If God exists, why did he allow bad things to happen to me or to somebody I care about? See, that is the question that Everybody gets stuck on. doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. You start asking the question, you know, um, why did my child have to go through this? What reason would my parents have to suffer that way? Or why did I have to lose this person when I wasn't planning on it? That's a question that gets all of us. In fact, it's such a powerful question that a group of people who weren't even Christians read this book, read this movie script, and said, we want to be actors in that movie. And that's one of the things I love about The Shack. You've got big-name actors who aren't sharing our faith, but they're so compelled by the way that William Paul Young answered the question that they want to help portray that in a movie. And I think that's powerful. I don't think the answer to this question has a simple answer. I really don't. When you read scripture and you look for an answer to this question, what you find is God takes you on a journey with real people, through real tragic events, where more than getting the answer to your question, what you get is you get a sense in which God loves you and God is trustworthy. And that's where I, where I want us to walk today, is through those truths together. Now this is a fiction movie, it's a fiction book. Fiction has its limits, but it's really in the tradition of some people who've used fiction for the same purpose. William Paul Young is using a story to point us to the Bible. And if you get online or you've seen something about the shack, you've probably met some haters out there who think that this is not accurate. And let's just be honest, fiction has its limits. But as long as you'll take what you see in the movie and ask, where did God say that in the Bible, I think you'll be fine. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, from a generation before, has written a lot of fiction where he tries to portray spiritual truths. I just finished a fiction uh, trilogy he calls the Space Trilogy this summer, and it was incredible in the way it made me think about God and go back to the Bible and confirm truths. So, great, great movie, but if you get lost, go to the Bible and look for the answers. That's what William Paul Young, I believe, would tell you to do. That's what I'm going to tell you to do as well. So. Now, The Shack. The Shack's a movie about a big guy named Mackenzie, or Mack. Mackenzie has a horrible life, to so be honest. As a kid, he had an abusive, alcoholic father who beat him and his mom, who used faith to tell him that was okay, that he had to submit, he had to keep his mouth shut. McKenzie regrets not only that, he regrets what he did to get away from his father as a kid. And then, just as his life is starting to get, he's leaving the past behind, he's got his own family, he's got three wonderful kids His youngest child is not only lost, she's abducted and murdered. For the worst thing a father could think could happen. And in the midst of that mountain of pain, God meets Mac. And he doesn't meet him with a bunch of answers. He doesn't try to debate him. They spend a weekend together in the shack where Mac's daughter was killed. And God begins to unravel the situation that's in and he, he does two things. God really wants Mac to see past his pain, and he wants him to come to a place where he trusts God. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about, is seeing past your pain and trusting God. Now, past your pain, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing about pain. Pain lies to us. Pain tells us that God is cruel, and God is not cruel. But pain will convince us that he is. And at worst, God, pain will convince us that God is untrustworthy or incompetent. And as you're going to see in the clip we get to in a second... Uh, mac that 's the belief that he has about God and he 's trying to process through that and he doesn 't know how to get past those things mac 's a guy who has enough faith to believe there 's a god he's a he 's a guy who shows up at church hoping that one day he 'll really get the answers that he feel, he looks over and sees other Christians getting that he'll one day he 'll be there, but he just he 's never been there and in his heart, I believe Mac is one of those people who says God has his favorites and then he has the rest of us, and I'm in the rest of us category where God doesn't feel like he owes us any favors. But when he meets God, Mac meets a God who says he loves him over and over who, in William Paul's Young's phrasing says, I am especially fond of you. And I believe that's the truth God has for us today. I believe that's the powerful thing that the Shack portrays that the Bible really says as well. Now Mac has conversations with all three people of God. In fact, on their screens you're going to see um, uh, a Middle Eastern man who's Jesus in this movie and looks kind of like we would expect Jesus to look except for modern. Um, there's a young Asian lady who uh, represents the Holy Spirit who's a person of God who walks with us as Christians. And then as you see, the older lady is, um, is how God appears as, as God the Father. And he takes a very unique form because he wants to meet Mac where he's at. And he'll say in a second, I didn't think you could handle a father, so I chose somebody who was kind to you in your past. In fact, here's a picture of Mac as a child with this woman. So God meets Mac where he's at. And I believe that's at the heart of who God is. In fact, I want to take you to Matthew 8 and 9. And I want us to walk through how Jesus himself, when he walked this earth, did this for people. See, in Matthew 8 and 9, there's a string of miracles that happen. But it's all about God meeting people where they're at. And when it's done, Jesus summarizes and makes sure we get the point of this. Jesus meets a leper, a man um, who had to stay away from society, who couldn't be touched. And Jesus not only heals the man when he asks for it, he touches the man. That's the compassion of Jesus, meeting people where they're at. Then he meets an army sergeant, and the army sergeant is asking for healing for a servant. And Jesus not only heals him, but he commends the army sergeant's faith. And he says, man, you've got a ton of faith. Then he meets, then he goes to Peter's house, and he's having dinner with Peter, and a crowd gathers who needs healing outside, and it says Jesus healed everybody. He went from doing what he was doing to doing what they needed, and he didn't just address physical illness, he addressed mental illness as well, it says. And if that wasn't enough, then Jesus goes and he seeks out not just the ones who need healing, but the social outcasts. He actually asks one of the most despicable levels or people in society, to follow him, to one of his closest followers, a guy named Matthew, who's a tax collector. And tax collectors are like right above murderers and just below like lawyers and stuff in that society. So, sorry if you're a lawyer in here, I didn't didn't mean that. Um, But Jesus not only asks a tax collector to follow him, but he lets the tax collector throw a party with all his friends, and Jesus just hangs out and is friendly with people. And as the religious leaders who don't like Jesus anyway stand to the side and judge him, and they're like, What, what, what is he doing? There's even some good meaning Christians who are kind of caught in the middle. And it's the good meaning Christians who bring this question in the middle of Matthew 9 to Jesus, and they say, We're just trying to figure this out. Why don't you and your followers kind of do more of the traditional stuff? Why don't you fast? It's specifically their question. And Jesus' answer, I think, is powerful. Um, Jesus takes two analogies that in that time everybody knows. And then he, um, and he talks about how we know this in the physical realm, but we don't know it in the spiritual. Let's read this, and then I'll kind of unpack it with you. But Jesus' reply says this. He says, nobody, nobody patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And nobody, nobody puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the skins would burst. The wine would spill out, and the skins are ruined. They put n- new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. Jesus is saying, you guys know this. This is common practice with wine. This is common practice with patching clothes. It is common practice for God in meeting people where they are at. God takes our spiritual status into account when he reaches us. So if you are a person who's hurting and going through pain and tragedy, God wants to approach you far differently than he might approach a a Christian who's been a Christian a long time. I've walked with God a long time. He may choose to be very direct, very upfront. He may choose to embarrass me to get a point across. But for somebody who's hurting and and in tragic circumstances, God wants you to know that he loves you. God wants you to know that he loves you. I believe God, what William Paul Young says, that God is very fond of you, is true of you. Not just a guy in a movie. God is especially fond of you. Do you know that? That before God wants you to engage him in a debate, he wants to engage you in an embrace. Let's watch the first moments with Mac, who's very struggling, and God, and just see how God portrays this in the movie.
1: Why did you bring me back here? Because here's where you got stuck. You're wearing a dress. Excuse me? I always pictured you with a white beard. <laughs> I think that's Santa. <laughs> After what you've been through, I didn't think you could handle a father right now. I know the great Gulf there is between us tonight. You may not believe it, but I am especially fond of you. Mm-hmm. I want to heal that wound that's inside you, between us. There's no easy answer that'll take your pain away. No instant fix that's enduring. Life takes a bit of time and a lot of relationship. Relationship? Mm-hmm. You're the Almighty God, right? She needed you most. You abandoned her. I never left her. If you are who you say you are, where were you when I needed you? Son, when all you see is your pain, you lose sight of her. As difficult as it is for you to accept I'm in the middle of everything you perceive to be a mess Working for your good That's what I do How can you say that? Of all the pain and suffering in the world What possible good Comes from a little girl being murdered by a sick monster See, you may not cause those things But you certainly don't stop them Mackenzie, you're trying to make sense of your world based on a very incomplete picture. It's like looking through the knothole of your pain. The real underlying flaw in your life is that you don't think that I'm good. I am. And if you knew me, And how much I love you. And even when you don't understand, you could know that I am at work in your life
0: for good. So what you see in these clips is Mac wants answers. He's trying to find the answers. But the answer God needs him to hear most is that God loves him. And I know that that's not a a point we receive quickly when we're hurting. And so I want you to hear today that if that's where you're at currently, no rush. There are people who sit in here for months trying to work through some of that pain before they can really have a conversation with God. And that's okay. In the movie, they're not hurried, and I don't want you to feel hurried. I know some of you guys have pain that I can't begin to imagine and that you wouldn't want to begin to revisit. And for all of us, I know that if we live much longer, we'll encounter pain again. We'll walk through it with other people or we'll go through it on our ourselves. Some of us are going to get diagnoses of conditions that aren't treatable or don't have good treatments. We may not even get a diagnosis. We may just, they just may know something's messed up with us. Some of us are going to lose a loved one tragedy like in the movie. Some of us either have been or will go to war somewhere and will carry the experiences there home with us and maybe even relive them is we're triggered to relive them. I know that pain is not a light subject in this room. But I want to encourage you, because as Christians, if, if we're not ready for the pain, if we don't know how to process it through God's love, it will stall us or send, it send us backwards. In the movie, Mac is in a boat, and the water turns black, and the boat begins to sink. And it's a picture of his pain, and him just drowning in his pain. That this boat is just sinking. And there's very little he can do about it, except for look to God. That's what hurt does to us. Now, if you're somebody who's walking somebody through or going to walk somebody through tragedy, let me say something very, very, very important as well. We try to rush people past this step. We try to give them a pithy answer. We try to make a Facebook link status about this. Or we try to say something that, at the time, will come across terribly. So if you've ever said, God is still on the throne everything has a purpose, or my personal most hated, God must have needed an angel in heaven. Don't say that ever again, okay? I'm telling you right now, don't say that. Don't rush people past this. What people need is to feel God's love through your love. You just need to be there for them, and you need to love them, and you need to help them eat and drink and just live life until they can process that pain, because we don't do it in a hurry. We don't do it in a hurry. God's love helps us see past our pain. It's God's love that helps us see past our pain. That's the first thing that happens in the movie. The second thing that happens in the movie is that God brings Mac to a place where he can begin to trust God's judgment. And this one has a little bit harder lesson to learn. It's a little more abrupt. In the movie, uh, the first scene, uh, Mac is with the Holy Spirit in the garden, and he sees a poisonous plant, and he's... Questioning why it's even there. Why would you put a poisonous plant there? And God shows him another plant and says, "If you would combine these two, it becomes medicine. It can save lives rather than take them." In that little moment, God begins to, or Mac begins to believe, maybe my judgment's more limited than I give myself credit for. Uh, maybe I should be slower to judge. And then God does something that seems a little hurtful, but it's a blessing in the end. God puts Mac in the judgment seat and allows him to judge other people the way he feels like God does. And in judging other people, Mac begins to let go of this idea that God is indifferent to judging people. And he begins to feel what God feels when God has to sit at the table and talk about justice and try to do justice. And I want you guys to watch this clip unfold and what it teaches Mac.
2: Sit. Uh-huh.
1: Who am I supposed to judge?
2: There must be at least a few who are to blame for all the pain and suffering in the world, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What about the selfish? Greedy. Those who harm others. Murderers, drug dealers, terrorists. Guilty? Yeah. What about men who beat their wives? Here, why do you stay? Your fathers who beat their sons to alleviate their own suffering.
1: Let's not do
2: this. Should that man be judged? Yeah. No what about the man who preys on innocent little girls? Okay, Is that man guilty? I would damn him now. And what of his father? The man who twisted him into this deviant monster? I would damn him too. How can you stop there? Doesn't the legacy of brokenness go all the way back to Adam? And what about God? Isn't he at fault? He set all this emotion especially if he knew the outcome.
1: Do you want me to say it? Absolutely. God is to blame
2: Well If it's so easy for you to judge God You must choose one of your children To spend eternity in heaven The other Will go to hell I can't Can't do what? I'm only asking you to do something you believe God does. So? Who will go to hell? You could choose Kate. She said some pretty hurtful things. She shuts you out. You're not even sure if she loves you anymore. Or you could choose Josh. Josh. Is being disobedient, sneaking out, lying to you. You didn't know that. Mackenzie, make your choice.
1: I don't do this anymore. I can't do this. Can't do what? I can't. You must This isn't a game You have to You know what, this isn't fair You must It isn't fair I'll go in their place. You you, you leave my kids alone and you take me.
2: Mackenzie. You've judged your children worthy of love. Even if it costs you everything. Now we know Papa's heart.
0: In this moment, I don't even know if I have to say it, you guys see what Max sees, that judgment isn't as easy as we would like it to be. That God really only, only he has a perspective to judge. And that judgment is painful for God, that God doesn't take joy in this. God, as John 3.16 says, loves the world. God so loved the world. When Mac finally grasps that, that God truly does love him, and that judgment isn't a simple thing that he can do, Mac loses his need for answers to every question he has, and he begins to embrace God. Love, God's love, and his own limitation are enough for God to jump into a relationship with God. And he is reborn. Absolutely reborn. I believe what God is doing in Matthew in the analogies I I, we read together earlier is also linked to this because Jesus actually gets interrupted twice as he's trying to talk about this, and I think in the interruptions is this very same concept about why God is trustworthy, and I want us to read through them together. So Jesus' first interruption, we'll put it on the screen. It um, says, as Jesus was saying this, leader of the synagogue came and bowed before him. Probably better, fell before him. My daughter has just died. But you can come to bring her back to life again if you lay your hand on her. So this first interruption, a distraught father, putting everything in front of Jesus just in tears. And what good father would not do that his daughter right but this is a man whose job is linked to the people who don't like Jesus and he's falling at Jesus feet so he is truly desperate Jesus and his disciples go with him to help heal the daughter but he gets interrupted again on the way it says just then a woman who has suffered for 12 years take a second 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him She touched the fringe of his robe before she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Now the father asked for something Jesus had not done yet, to bring somebody back from the dead. This woman's doing the same thing. Jesus hasn't healed by accident before, but she is so embarrassed. She feels so scared, either the crowd or just that Jesus doesn't love her enough to do this, that she wants to steal a blessing, sneak a blessing, if you will, from Jesus. She doesn't want to be seen. She just wants to get to his robe. That's desperation. And it's a woman who suffered for a really long time. So if anybody feels unvalued, it's her, much like Max. She has suffered a long time and has no answers to these questions. But watch what Jesus does in this moment. Because it's powerful. Jesus turns around. And when he saw her, he says, daughter. 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 Be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. That word, I believe, is the reason these two stories are together. Because as the synagogue leader loved his daughter so much, he would do anything for her. God, who loves you, will do anything for you. In fact, he has. The maker of this world would rather die for you than live without you. And a God who loves that much, who goes that far, is worthy of our trust. And we don't need answers to everything from a God like that. The maker of this world would rather die for you than live without you. I hope you know that. And if you're hearing that for the first time, I hope that sinks in today. When Matt grasps that in the movie, he is reborn because that kind of love... It, it just, there's no other word to describe it. It gives us new life. He's able to set aside his need for answers. He's able to find joy and intimacy with God. He can look back at these horrible events that he doesn't have answers for, but he can see that even though they were horrible, God did some good things in the midst of them. And and his work, God's work in Mac, is just beginning. If you watch the movie. You see that he has a capacity to love and forgive that allows him to face his father, allows him to process the murder that happened and grieve his daughter and let go of some of that anger and regret and hurt that he felt. He's even got enough strength to go back and help his oldest daughter, who feels like it's her fault that her sister died. The miracle that happens through Mac is Far greater than the miracle that happens in Mac. But it starts with us and it starts in us believing that God loves us and that God is trustworthy. And of course, I don't have time to show you the rest of the movie. So I'm going to sell you on watching it by telling you you want to see the rest of that. It's incredible. Where I want to leave us today is with these two important thoughts. That great pain distorts our view of God. And we have to be solid in the, in the belief that he loves us to see past our pain and to stay in relationship with God. And that God is worthy of our trust, regardless of the circumstances that we're going through. God is worthy of our trust because he loves us far more and he sees the picture far better than we do. And even though we don't get the answers now, we can trust in his love. See, how, God, how much does God love you? He gave his life for you. That's why Christians revere and center everything around the cross. It's because that's where we go. My big idea, Charles Spurgeon summed this up far better. It was even in an old song you might have heard. It says, God is too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind. When you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. God is too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind. When you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. So as I close, I want to ask you guys a couple of questions and, and push you guys to do a couple of things this week. Firstly, I want you, I want to ask when was the last time you felt God's love? On a personal level. If it's been a while, then I would encourage you to make sure you make some time and get there. Go to bed early, get up early if you need to. If you're like me and parent with kids, that's what you gotta do. But spend some time with God and try to interact with Him on this. As you leave today, on the table there's some letters there. Uh, Max Lucado composed kind of a letter from God to us. And he just kind of put different scriptures together. I want to ask you to take that and end some time with God this week. Ask yourself, do I believe everything this letter says about me? And then when you pray to God, I want to encourage you to take uh, a tip from William Paul Young, who wrote this book and this movie, and call him Papa this week. And just see if that change in language triggers you to have a little bit different conversation. And treat God a little bit more close, like he wants to be, even if he doesn't feel that way. My second question for you is there is there something specific keeping you from trusting God now? Are you processing anger or hurt or guilt or regret? Are you asking questions like why didn't God? Or why didn't I? If those things are in your way right now with you and God, I encourage you to talk to God with the cross in view. That to take those struggles to the cross and have a conversation knowing that Christ gave his life for you and that God is very fond of you. Because I believe in light of that sacrifice, you'll be able to work through some of those issues. God is good and he does love you. You are in his Circle of favorites. And he loves you so much, he's worthy of your trust. So if that's you, just know, my goal for you is to feel him this week. You can read Matthew 8 and 9, you can read the letter, you can call him Papa, but spend some time with him and get close. Final thing I want to say, and my disclaimer today is this. Do I want you to expect God to visit you the way he does in this movie. No. But it's not because that's not at the heart of God. It's not because that's not who God is in his very nature. It's because he has a different plan working in this world today. And if you've tuned me out this far because you're not in a big place, listen up because this is hugely important. And this is the challenge I want to leave you with. That job, the job these actors do in this movie by portraying God, the, the job that Olivia Spencer does in loving Mac in this movie. That is your job if you're the church. That is what God has called you to do. You are the person who is to show God's love and his care to other people. You are called to meet people where they're at. As Jesus left this earth, he left us with that commission. And as I leave Clarksville, I leave you with that commission because my calling as a pastor has been very little beyond that. My job is to meet people where they are. And to show them that God loves them so he can begin that transformation in their life. That's what we're called to do. That is a huge privilege. It's really exciting. It's really cool. It's really fun. If you haven't been that person for somebody, I look forward to you going through that experience because it's incredible. And this church, better than any church in town, I believe, is good at that. So if you need to learn how, you just hit your ride with somebody else because they will show you. But I believe that every week, God brings people into your life because he wants you to show them who he is by your actions, by not judging but loving, by caring enough to listen to their conversation, to listen to their hurts, just to show them love until they can move past that. That, I believe, is the core of who we are and what we're called to do. And I just want to encourage you to do that. I want you to encourage you to do that personally personally, And I want you to know this. The reason I love this church is because every week people pass those flags out there on the street. And God says, I'm over there. And if you'll just walk through those doors, you'll meet me. And you know who they meet? They meet you guys. And people greet them as they're coming in, and people give them coffee and show them around. And even beyond people who are volunteers. You guys stand there in the hallways and you talk to them and you, and you get to know them a little bit and you invite them to coffee and they end up in a small group with you. And you know what they hear? They hear that God loves them because you love them and because you're not judging them. You're meeting them where they're at. Our church does that better than any church in Clarksville. It's why I love one church and it's why I'm so excited for every person who walks through here now and in the future. So if you're at a place where you're good with God, you know He loves you, then please make sure that you keep your eyes open for every opportunity to do that. And please invest your time and your energy and your money here because God is changing lives by doing this very thing, by meeting people where they're at and making them feel His love and that He's trustworthy. I want to pray for you guys and I'll be done. Father, I love my time here. And I don't leave one church... With any amount of joy over leaving what's behind, God, I just leave it because I know you're, you're taking me somewhere else. I pray you continue this great work, and I know you will, but I pray that each person in this room will meet you closely and will help others along that path, God. Because that is our calling as the church. That is who we are and what you want from us. God, I pray that you meet each person in this room this week in an intimate way, and they hear through your word, or through the movie, or through this letter of Scripture, God, your heart. I pray that as they walk through tragic events, they will know that you are with them and the pain will not keep them from connecting with you. And I just ask your blessing on Chris and Katie and Heather and every volunteer and every person who this morning and in the mornings to come is pouring their lives into others, hoping they grasp that love. For it's in Jesus' name I
1: pray.